Support for another round comes from Squarespace. So once upon a time I had this web I technically still have a website. I just don't tell people to look at it because it looks like not great. And it looks not great because I didn't <laughs> go with people who knew what they were doing, like Squarespace. Um, you can start building your own website today at squarespace.com. And if you enter offer code another round at checkout, you get 10% off your first purchase. Say what? Boom. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Hi, everyone. I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. Yes, the return of the air horn. You are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so excited for the show today, Tracy. Why? 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 We are going to do a little what happened once, a little brief tale. What happened with? It's less a tale, more just I witnessed something and I want to share it with everyone. I'm very excited (laughs) to hear what this is. And then we're going to interview Melissa Harris-Perry. What? So as you may know, she has an MSNBC show. She's a professor. She's like always doing a million things. I don't know. She's amazing. She's an amazing woman. She slays. And her braids are always on point. Yes. That's a lot of upkeep. I'm very excited to talk to her about that. Yes. So let's get going. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I saw that from Brian Fellows. (laughs) Oh, that's true. See, I always say it. So let's get going. So, what had happened was, <laughs> I'm so excited. earlier this week, I was, you know, walking, minding my business, living my life. As you, as you tend to do. As I want to do. When I saw the most horrifying combination of things to have ever been combined on top of a white person's head. Oh my God. <laughs> what? You know, when you're like, New York City, like people watching or like on the subway and you're just like, Oh, why why are you here at this time? What are you doing? Where are you going? You know? What's your story? So I was like walking, but it was more of like a stroll. So Uh I was looking around. (laughs) And to my front, to my front, (laughs) in front of me was a little a little gaggle of white people. Gaggle. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Second favorite unit of measurement. First, (laughs) if you listen closely to the show, it's Cracker Barrel. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little gaggle. They're just like 20-something white people. And under the the spotlight of the streetlight, oh no, it's so I see, <laughs> I see one one very long dreadlock. One. <laughs> I don't understand. He just had one dreadlock. He on had his one. Head. So I look up <laughs> to the head, <laughs> and from the light and the angle, it looked like he had no hair. Wow. So then I gasped. <laughs> because I realized what was happening. Oh this is a man with the combination dreadlock rat tail. What? He had a really long dreadlock. <laughs> but it was like at the back of his head? At the back! Shut up. So I like I wanted to get closer. <laughs> uh-huh. Was it like blonde? Like what color was it? Yes. So, and he was completely bald otherwise. Yes. What? So I was like, oh, this is like spotting a white dude with dreadlocks in the wild. That's mm-hmm. like... Two years of bad luck. <laughs> Spotting a white dude with dreadlocks in the wild combined with a rat tail. Combination dreadlock rat tail. What? A dread tail. No. No one should ever do this. A rat lock. <laughs> I got like seven years of bad luck. Damn. We got to take you to a, a priestess to get get you out of this somehow so the reason i said gaggle Uh is because like i feel like white people haven't evolved to squad yet (laughs) and the reason i say this (laughs) is because if you have real friends they'd be like bruh it's not a good look for you why are we still doing this you can tell he had it for a while because it was a long ass dreadlock maybe it's like a religious thing (laughs) i just really wanted to share that with someone did you get a picture no, I don't really like to creep shot people. Mm. Will you document the bad luck that you encounter? Listen, over the next I seven really years? need y'all to pray for me. This is not a joke. But <laughs> <laughs> somebody knows like some kind of like reversal ritual for like Please do the that white dreadlock me. rat tail. <laughs> Please email us at another oh round of Oh my god, buzzfeed. I need to com. shake this off. <laughs> We're gonna buy you some sage. You <laughs> can just like Burn purify your <laughs> Oh, thanks for listening, guys. Pray for me. Oh man.
So we are excited to have Dr. Melissa Harris-Perry on the show today. She's the Presidential Endowed Professor in Politics and International Affairs at Wake Forest University. Incredible. She's the host of MSNBC's Melissa Harris-Perry, airing on the weekends. She's the author of Sister Citizen, Shame, Stereotypes, and Black Women in America, and Barbershops, Bibles, and BET, Everyday Talk and Black Political Thought. You're also like a columnist at The Nation and writing at Essence. I honestly do not know how you do all these things. That's our whole show, guys. Yes. <laughs> <Tune> in. <laughs> Me reading her bio. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank I you am, for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. It's really a lot of fun. Okay, so we like to start all our interviews. What do you do and why? Man, um... It's funny because a Friday is kind of a weird day to ask me um, what I do. Oh, yeah. So we're recording this on a Friday. On a Friday, I feel like I'm a television host because it's our day when we're probably crashing the hardest for the weekend shows. Mm. But 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 then I always say that's not my real job, that my real job is being a, a college professor. So I guess the link between being a college professor and being a TV host is that in both um, frameworks, I try to be a teacher. Um, and I don't just mean a teacher like uh, I have all the information and I am here to convey it to you and bless you with my wisdom and knowledge, but rather kind of like the, I try to, to model the best teachers that I had. So for me, the, the best teachers I had both taught me new things that I didn't know, but then often would try to draw out of me things that I did know already, but didn't quite have the language for. Um, and so I, I do try to think of my classroom at Wake Forest and my big classroom in Nerdland as being just kind of extensions of the same um, effort of being a teacher. So why? I think I've always felt called to it. Um, even as a kid, I was the kid who lined up the dolls and, you know, played school kind Aww. of thing. I also used to marry my black Barbies off to Chewbacca, but that's a different <laughs> <laughs> I don't Wait. That happened. He said, my baby's going to have some good hair. Yeah, and, and, and he was tall and brown and, you know, Ken was oh like God. anemic and, yeah. yeah Nobody wants that. <laughs> Those are not traits that you want your project. It was to have. anemic. I'm I just want that detail to be known. <laughs> yeah, so um it really does feel like the calling. Now my dad is a college professor, his twin brother's a college professor. When my mom and dad met, my mom was the graduate assistant for my dad's class. Mm. Um so I, I think teaching is a little bit in also just kind of what all of us do. Mm. It makes me very excited that there is a brown woman with like braids on TV yes. reading me the news. I'm like, oh my God, what is this land? Yes. <laughs> so I know broadcast people have to deal with a lot. Were there ever like serious conversations about what you should do with your hair? I think there are only serious conversations now, um, which is really? to say, well, so literally this week was my um, take out all the braids and then put them all back in um, mm -hmm. two days. So on Tuesday, when I was just hanging out with my hair, mm -hmm. I like, Instagrammed a picture of my hair and there was a little bit of like oh, you're not planning to like <laughs> wow really come on the how how do they express that right nice photograph <laughs> are you making a change in your life <laughs> Oh my god! That seems like the professional version of your grandmother being like, "So you're not gonna go out like yeah, you are you? <laughs> you gonna try to go with it?" And, and, and actually, I will say what one of the people who well, I'll say a couple of things. One, I got very very angry post Ferguson. I thought a lot. I think a lot of us did, and I needed to express that rage in some way. Um, and so on on the on one of the worst nights of um, police action, and I was watching it on air. It just happened to be night I was also taking my braids out, and so. I said to my husband, I'm not putting them back in. I'm mm. going on with my mm. hair. I'm doing it. And he was like, I know you are very mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> but on Saturday morning at 6 a.m. when you have to do your hair, you mm -hmm. might feel differently. Mm. So yeah. why don't we do something different? And so I, that was when I put the blonde, uh, I put like blonde streaks in mm -hmm. it. Those were like my my radical anger Ferguson streaks. I know, right. makes, I know that makes yeah, yeah. no sense, but I just needed something that was like expressing like physically my irritation with what I was seeing in that moment. Um, and so that's really the only reason. I, I mean, I, I don't actually really get that much pressure. The only reason I don't wear my natural hair on air is just because it's effort filled. It's a lot of, it can be and a lot of work. I travel back and forth and mm -hmm. braids are just very easy. And I think at this point, you know, I think most people who are presumably my bosses in most of the places where I work have just kind of figured out that Melissa is kind of Melissa and they mm -hmm. tend to let it go. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I've, I've really learned from um, from watching Rachel Maddow over the years is she is one of the people who very purposely creates a physical appearance that is 
non-distracting so that you mm. are thinking about what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that at some point I will take my hair out and wear my hair. And it's also no doubt that no one will have any idea what I said on the show for those two hours. Mm. Like, you know, that they w- they're only going to respond to what's on my head and not what's in it. Oh, man. The worst part to me about like fresh, like newly getting your braids done is like the hours of small talk that yes. you have to deal with. If you're not a regular braider, you know, if it's not your regular look, mm-hmm. you just like you every mean, like, single when you go person. To work and stuff. Yeah, yeah, every single person you meet. You have like, to, you literally yes, have to like explain to everybody. Yes, my hair did everybody. grow so long so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was funny. <laughs> right, and there's also a little bit of a judgment because usually it's how long and then the next question is how long does it last? And then of mm. course the third question mm-hmm. is, do you wash it? Oh of my course. gosh. That uh, is the worst question that anybody could ask me about my hair. Like, it's bizarre. Right? Like, it's bizarre. <laughs> do you yeah. brush your teeth? Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm clean. How do you shower? Do you shower? You know, like, these are all things that, like, nobody would ever ask anybody else. It's a very odd question, but it's part of the navigation of um, American life as as black girls. And so mm. there's, also, there's also a way that it then allows us to bond with one another because we navigate the world in that way. Having a white mom, I have often said that my hair has been part of the salvation of my identity because I have real regular black girl hair. Yes. I don't have curly, <laughs> flippity, floppity, hanging down. Mixed chicks my... hair. No, that's right. Not. That's not a thing that I have because it's not the kind of white girl that my mommy is. So she has like also a sort of a fro situation happening. So, um, and I've always felt like all those hours in the chairs or those experiences with the hot comb or the burns of the, like that's also just helps to be the vocabulary of how mm. we talk about who we are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You are very, very good at having very diverse, AKA brown skin guests on your show, which proves that it is possible to have a news show and include like the, the thoughts and the voices. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So you're good at it. Why do you think everybody else sucks at it so much? We are good at it for two reasons, three reasons. One, uh, Michelle Combo. Um, She's my senior booking producer. Mm. The amount of diversity that she can get into four chairs is mm. kind of extraordinary because part of it is racial diversity. She, you know, she, she wants not just black and brown people. Mm-hmm. She wants black and brown queer people, some of whom are short, some of whom are tall, some of whom are from the Northeast, <laughs> some of whom are... Right-handed, like left-handed. Yeah, right, like, yeah. she, she wants it all, right? Uh-huh. And she wants it in four chairs. But the second part of that is that all of us are extremely aware of it. It's how we build our tables. All of us are working on deadlines and timelines that are very brief. And so we're all working from the Rolodex of who we know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for us, sometimes it means that what Melissa will suggest is a table of my four, oh, if we're having that topic, we need blah, 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 blah. And guess what? All four of them are African-American college professors. Damn. Right. And so my EP is like, nope. We're going to need diversity, right? <laughs> and but in, and in this case, diversity means not for uh-huh. black college professors talking about it, right? But it's it's because we can look at a table and at least start to think about who's not there, who mm-hmm. should be there. You know, I don't I don't want to say whether or not other folks suck at it, but I will say that the thing that makes it possible for us to do it mm. is that we think about it all. It doesn't happen accidentally. It's mm. extremely purposeful on all mm-hmm. sides. Yeah, awesome. Because your work exists in like the intersection of like academia, public discourse. Um, last year, Ta-Nehisi Coates called you America's foremost public intellectual. Yeah, that was weird. And people <laughs> lost their shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that was very People strange. like Politico. But, yes. <laughs> but, but he, was, he was also clearly doing that just to be provocative. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. But yes. do you consider yourself a public intellectual? I mean, I guess I would think of myself more as um, a public scholar. Than, I mean, I think intellectual carries with it this... Like I have patches on my elbows, <laughs> yeah, elbows and I'm, yes. you know, you smoke smoking, a pipe. Yeah, like I'm smoking <laughs> a pipe somewhere. And that's the kind of college professor my dad is, which is always funny to me. The only thing I ever make is ideas. Like I can't make you a widget or draw you a picture. Or something. So I can't. Like I, I, you know, all I have is ideas and intellectual properties. So, mm. and I do it in front of cameras. So I, yeah, sure. I don't know. The foremost is weird because I also think, <laughs> I also think that like that hierarchy. So, you know, I love coats a lot. Uh, sure. But also um, feel like sometimes he gets stuck in frameworks that are very um, uh, masculinist. Mm, um, speak on it. Yeah. And, and so that notion of like a foremost of the hierarchy of the one person who's at the top, that's right. a very like Du Boisian framework mm. for thinking about how public intellectual life works. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that's just not it. So if I am America's foremost public intellectual, I would only want it to be for one reason. And that is because I have a table with four chairs and try to bring 
all the other folks. So I'd like to think of myself as like America's foremost convener of all the other public <laughs> intellectuals. Foremost convener. That's yes. beautiful. Yeah, it doesn't, right? But you could see how Politico would be less mad about that, right? <laughs> oh, Politico. <laughs> oh, Politico. Um, I kind of want to get back to that point, though, about masculinist models of understanding stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it, but there's a lot of intellectual dick swinging Ooh. from black male academics Ooh. swinging and measuring Lay, laying on the table and, right. and measuring <laughs> taking pictures uh-huh. sending yep. out unrequested selfies yes all, <laughs> all of those things all, all of those it. things are oh, happening man. <laughs> how do you deal with it and what has your experience been look i've had good and bad experiences around that mm. um i have two senior colleagues who i like to say um they're just profoundly distinguished in my mind because they um, they carried me th- through the academy in a thousand ways, but never, ever, ever once treated me like their daughter or their date, mm. but just always as their peer. Uh, my colleague Michael Dawson and the late um, Manning Marable. Um, but yeah, look, you know, I don't know. I guess black men are reading a tradition that tends to think that men's ideas are the most valuable ideas. And so I could see why they would think that they are, because it actually takes, kind of like booking a diverse table, it takes a lot of work to go find the girls and the things that we wrote and said and thought in order to recognize that you're actually being influenced by Mm. Wells and Cooper, because you think you're just being influenced by Du Bois. But what you don't realize is that Du Bois (laughs) is getting influenced by Wells and Cooper because we don't Uh tell that part of it, for example. Mm. As Nicole Hannah-Jones would say, that's Ida Bay Wells. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Shout out to Nicole. (laughs) Right. So earlier today, I tweeted out on the Another Round Twitter account. Um, We're in the studio with Melissa Harris-Perry today. Does anybody have any questions? Um, oh, we got some Lord. good ones. A lot of people <laughs> had questions about the Rachel Dolezal interview yes! that you did. Yes, oh my, people hate me for yes. that. that Are you still hearing a lot moments. about it? Well, it, um, I don't hear that much about it. Well, wait, what happened? Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> so our friend so what Rachel, happened was <laughs> yeah, what happened was our friend Rachel emerged into public space, and I found her fascinating. And most of the rest of the world, who I think thinks of themselves as being in solidarity with me and my viewers and like my people, mm-hmm. um, were not thinking she was interesting. They were thinking she was dishonest and mm. awful and terrible. And I think in part we're looking for me to both co-sign that and to uh, give voice to it. And I just. It's just honestly not how I experienced her personally or how I even experienced the whole event. Now, I have come to think over time, part of what was happening that I just didn't catch initially was some um, light skin privilege situation. That mm. I just So this is the privilege problem. So I, I usually am pretty good about seeing when light skin privilege is operating. But part of what was happening when she was making a claim on blackness is she's making a claim on blackness from from the end of the color spectrum in a very particular space. Mm. So the language that would happen about, well, you could just step out of blackness whenever you want. Part of how I would respond to that was, well, so can lots of light skinned people. They can Mm. step out of right. Like passing is also part of what happened in the world. And and actually, I think part of what I've come to understand is that some folks actually were saying that. They were like, yup, and all that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Whoever she is personally, right, and whatever those things were, I had a sense of familiarity with her because she is from a part of the country. She's from the Pacific Northwest. She uh, lives out there in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, my mother, who's a white woman, grew up in Spokane, Washington, and I still have... Um, white family members who live in Idaho and other parts of the country. And I think that for East Coasters, for Chicagoans, for urbane folks, um, it is almost impossible to explain why, if you are a white woman with black children, it is actually easier to just be a black woman. So let me just run through this 15 seconds here. Please do. Growing up in the immediate post-Jim Crow South in the 1970s, in a household as a black child with a white mother... In Virginia in the 1970s, people expected to see black families in public space. So there may have been certain kinds of dangers that associate it, but it's not like a daily harassment just for being in the space. But when you are a white woman with a black child, you are the actual walking physical manifestation of miscegenation, which is, of course, the entire 
discourse around lynching and Jim Crow and all of those things. Mm. There is a way in which there's actually greater invisibility if your family is monoracial. I can understand why, even though I'm not sure that it's even true of Rachel Dolezal, and I certainly didn't hear her um, particularly articulate it this way, but it it was why I think I saw her slightly differently. I, I could see why she would say that once she had black children, that passing into blackness might actually be a safer space in which to exist than to exist as a white woman with black children. Because in the public space that is Northern Idaho, actually there is a particular kind of public threat that emerges when you are a walking example of miscegenation, Mm -hmm. even in 2015. So that was part of what I heard her say. The other thing, I guess, is I was disturbed by the number of people who said um, that white people cannot experience um, the actual pain of anti-black racism, that they can only experience allyship. So I'll tell one more quick story. I have one sister in my family. We're a mixed-race family, but some of our siblings, both of their parents are black and some, both of their parents are white. My sister, who is a tall white woman with blonde hair, Both of her parents are white. She's seven years older than me. When I was five and she was, what, she'd be 12, we were out in public space and someone called me the N-word. I was five. I did not know what the N-word meant. Mm -hmm. Like, it literally, you could have called me, you know, box of Crayola. Like, I didn't, Uh the word had no meaning to me. So in that moment, I was not harmed by that word. But my 12-year-old sister, who's white, was absolutely hard. She knew what that word meant. She knew the threat that it posed, that the two of us alone together in that space were being called that word. And she didn't feel it as an ally towards my black experience. She felt it as the sister of a black sister. And she got into a fight. And, she, and, and so like the idea that she could not experience racial harm is an odd. I, it's just like, what do you mean she can't experience racial harm? Of, of course she could. And so Rachel Dolezal has black sons, one of whom looks not unlike Trayvon Martin. And if her son was murdered, and if he were murdered under circumstances like the death of uh, Trayvon Martin, why would we think that somehow because she was white, she'd be like, well, I mean, that was just that black kid that died. I mean, no, she would experience that as as her son having died. And so I, I was distressed about our inability to imagine the capacity of human pain, love, all of that existing beyond racial lines. Because I just, I just don't want black folks to be essentialists. Like, I don't want us to think that race is so real and so tangible that it would keep us from being able to have deep human experiences that cross those lines. Mm. Mm. This that is, is fascinating. A very compelling theory. It is. But... I don't but know it doesn't mean that it's she... true of Rachel. Yeah. Right, right. right. So so that I think that's the other thing I've come to realize is that I was casting onto her. So just like everybody else was casting all their stuff onto her, mm. good, bad, or otherwise, I think I was casting that narrative onto her. She didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> she, she did not. That. Right. That's she, what I was she saying. Most so, certainly you know, did not. I see her and I'm like, oh girl, I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's like, what? So right. I mean, she certainly so, did not say that. Let's recast Rachel as um, someone from New York, someone who has no children, who has no, like, black children. She's just a random white woman who doesn't carry the same, like, deep connections or nostalgia for you. She's just a woman who decided that she was black one day. What do you think your opinion of her would be? Yeah, so I think that's different. Yeah. I mean, so because I think race is socially constructed, I think you have to go through the social construction, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't don't think that my, quite, again, my sister is seven years older than me. I I think she was probably just, uh, this is the joke she and I say. She was like, I know I'm white. But I'm not regular white people. Um, <laughs> by which she just means like you you grow up in a household with four black siblings and it doesn't make you black, right? She she acknowledges that. But it also makes you somehow different in your life and worldview and experiences and not just like more liberal or more Democrat or something. Like mm. it actually shifts in part what she thinks of as the world that she exists in. But that's because it's literally socially constructed. It's mm-hmm. not psychologically constructed. Like you can't just decide, oh, and now I am bleh. like, <laughs> that's not a, no, you have to construct it through some set of lived experiences. Mm-hmm. 
I remember um, after Rachel's story came out, I decided that I was going to um, identify as a person with a perfect credit score. Oh my yes! God, Tracy. <laughs> so far it has not worked. Oh I need to get some tips on how to make this happen. Because but look, Tracy, here, here's I how I self-identify as America's foremost public intellectual. <laughs> yeah. Look, this, this is how I feel about my bad credit. It just makes me much more relaxed about identity theft. Mm, <laughs> take it, listen. Like, good luck. <laughs> what you want? Or you going to take my, Ray. oh, good luck. You Let's can see. have it. You can have my how, yeah, let's see how far you get with that, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for taking this. I really wanted to ask you very quickly before we go to the next segment. You're a baby. Your baby, baby is nerd. beautiful. So beautiful. You came into your miracle by surrogacy. That is true. I remember reading your beautiful, moving account of like the decision and everything. I'm very curious as to what led you to write about it in the way that you did. Oh, <laughs> my daughter's surrogate. So <laughs> literally, here's what happened. So I have a I have a, a now 13 year old daughter. The only way I had her was, you know, I fucked my husband. I was 28. I got pregnant like in 15 seconds because that's how that works at that <laughs> age. Bang, yeah, bang, I mean, bang, bang, bang. like, I, yeah, I went off the pill and I was pregnant before <laughs> the pack. Like, it was <laughs> damn. Um, <laughs> your twenties, yeah, your twenties are special. Um, <laughs> you know, I had her like natural childbirth. I didn't even have a Tylenol, like all like. Girl, two, uh-uh. oh, I was proud. I, mm, oh my job. goodness! <laughs> and, and, and then I just went through a period of of a lot of illness, fibroids. That I think a lot of African American women deal with. I tried a thousand different ways of addressing it, uh, and ultimately gave up my uterus in a. Um, hysterectomy and at the time wasn't married wasn't dating and you know my daughter was of an age that I thought okay so I'm done right Mm -hmm. in fact I remember saying to my father who was in his 60s at the time I said oh I think I'm done having kids he was like me too I was like oh Mm. Oh. (laughs) was that a question (laughs) okay daddy I didn't know I didn't know that shop was still open but That's the struggle continues. So, um, yeah, we don't want to know this. Yeah, too too many things. Um, When I met the man who's now my husband, um, who doesn't have any children of his own, uh, who desperately wanted to have a family with me, I was just like, you know, I know you went to Catholic school, so maybe you don't know how this works, but really, we can't have kids. I don't have a uterus. Like, this is a really critically important part. I love the loving shade of of this situation. But I had kept my ovaries, which meant that we literally could make our own genetic child I just couldn't carry uh, that Mm. baby so James being who he is was like I'm sure there's a way and I was like dude no for real (laughs) this is not you have to Um, so we I have a friend who is um, he's um, Asian American his husband is African American one of them is HIV positive and they have two beautiful children via surrogacy Mm. and I said well if my you know interracial queer HIV positive couple um, can have kids Hell yeah, let's see what we can do. And so we kind of we started working with the same um, agency that they worked with. Fell in love with the woman who is herself married, has two children of her own. Her whole family, including her sister, her mom, her dad, were all there mm. when Baby Nerd was born. She went through quite a difficult pregnancy. At the end, she had a big C section. It was a lot. Oh. And so when I posted a picture of me and Baby Nerd after Baby Nerd was born. Because I had not been visibly pregnant, the mm-hmm. world just presumed that I'd adopted. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter's surrogate called me and was like, yo. <laughs> What's good? I'm going to need my props. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, basically, she was like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> you did That's not real. I'm a child for nine months. I'm mean, like, everyone write about me, please. Yeah. And she's extremely private. And I'd never, you know, but I was like, oh, well, I, this is a I need to clarify this situation. Wow. So, so, so in part, I wrote about it because it just it's disrespectful to her and the sacrifices that she made to make our daughter possible to allow it the story to go otherwise. But I will say just on a day to day basis, because in real life, I'm not famous. um, I just (laughs) would walk around with this two week old baby in my, you know, teeny tiny jeans and the people be like oh my god you look so good I was like yes <laughs> I love taking all that credit I lost it real quick fabulous snap back yoga <laughs> oh my gosh I love in addition, story. in addition to surrogacy I another thing that I've never heard black women talk about is eating disorders there, so there's this short like web series called Black Folk Don't. Yes. And they they just had like some random fun topics but one of them was like Black Folk Don't Have Eating Disorders you popped up on the screen. I was like, what? (laughs) So it was, I 
at that time, I think it's like 2012 or something. Mm -hmm. At that time, I remember being like, I don't think I've ever heard a black person talk about mm -hmm. eating disorders or like body stuff in that yeah, way. Yeah. I, yeah, I was a raging bulimic at the end of high school going into college. What I now know is that a substantial number of bulimics or people who suffer with bulimia are um, survivors of childhood sexual assault, as am I. Mm. I just, I didn't understand that connection. So at the time I was watching after school specials and I thought that I was going through the bulimia situation because of some situation I had with my body. Mm. But what I realize now is that the things, the weird things I do with my body almost have nothing to do with my body, except that I was, uh, I was raped at 14 by a neighbor and I didn't tell for about a decade. And so the eating and then throwing up and, or the eating and then the running it off, part of the reason that we don't talk about the eating disorders is because we don't talk about the sexual assault. Mm. Right. Um, and so you know, again, if we kind of go with the after school special version, it's this idea that the reason that women start to manipulate their bodies is because of like Cosmo magazine or and right. I guess that I mean, that exists in mm. the world. It certainly impacts us. But we also know there's a ton of research saying that women of color actually don't experience like that complex uh the ophelia complex in the mm -hmm. same way we because black men love big asses yeah. well <laughs> right you know? I mean, which is a weird kind of yeah. thing because then it puts our selfhood like right. in the heteronormative gaze uh -huh. of some dudes mm -hmm. i don't but i just think it's more that literally we look at them we're like well even if i didn't eat for a week i still wouldn't look like, like right like, like all of the things are don't match up there. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's really like the desire to control the body is yeah. because at some point your body was taken out of your control by some person who meant it harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a person who's always in the public eye, how do you deal with criticism? Like a few, <laughs> I was looking through your top Google results. Like I went pages deep, <laughs> but the like few top ones are like Breitbart or some conservative website that doesn't have fact checkers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That is like, we got her. She yeah. said this one thing. I do not deal with it well at all. At all. Mm. And it's um, it's interesting because I have colleagues who deal with it really beautifully. And I'm always looking for tips from them. Um, my favorite person is um, Al Sharpton. Like, there's really yeah. nothing you can say about Reverend Al where he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe it's just the many years of it or maybe it's just sort of how he sees himself or maybe it's his general sense of self in the world. But I am a mess behind it. And so it's interesting because it's, it's shut off some spaces that I used to really enjoy. So some of my some of my best friends I met in early Twitter in the, you know, 2008-9 era. And I it could never happen again because I do not read my at replies. Mm -hmm. If I'm being attacked and I feel like I'm being attacked and I didn't do anything wrong, that can feel bad, but okay. Mm -hmm. But if I feel like I am partly to blame for it. Either I um, said something on air that I don't actually believe, but I got caught up in the moment. Mm -hmm. Or like recently, you know, I'm, I am literally bad with my money and then I'd had a rough two years and then all of a sudden, you know, my personal financial situation became a news topic and one that then sucked in other people and harmed other people. And I was not right for, like, when I tell you I was not right, I was not right for months. And Every time I went on air after that, it was physically painful. I'm not good at it, and I'll be very happy when a, all TV shows end. Someday my TV show will end. There will be a lot of things about my TV show ending someday that I will hate and I will miss. I will not hate and miss the days when I have to go on and say words when I would like to say no words. But, you mm -hmm. know, but you just you don't you don't have that option to say nothing. And it always is fine overall. But mostly I stick my head in the corner. But no, literally no one. No one wants to hear that. So I've also learned that like complaining about that will get you zero sympathy because mm. it, because it's an enormous privilege to have a national platform to say what you want. And part of the cost of that is that people will come for you. Yeah. And they don't come for you the way they did Ida Wells. They mocked me and made me feel awful, but they didn't like actually kick me out of my house or threaten to kill my husband or make it impossible for my child to go to school. Mm. And that's what they did to all the other black ladies who said words about what they believed in kind of all the rest of American history. Mm. So fuck Twitter. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so what is your self care routine? Do you have one? Um, so I'm a runner, which is more about um, my brain chemistry than anything else. So it's like get out there and uh, feel better. Um, I have an extraordinarily supportive and patient spouse. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of my self-care is just, Jay, 
Stop <laughs> me. I do opt out um, when I need to, but also I, I, I think probably the main self-care thing is um, I, I have a huge network of people. So, you know, my show is me on TV, but it's 12 brilliant people who are making the show. You know, the Anna Julia Cooper Center is sometimes just me out front, but it's actually my team of four people. Um, you know, my students are doing incredible things, but it's that like, so even my household is my mom, my sister, the kids, you know, James. I, I have enough sense not to try to do it by myself. you're out at like a happy hour like a networking mixer thing or whatever and you meet somebody right and they're like oh here's my car check out my website and then you go to their website and it's like it's trash 1998 <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing and you feel so sad for this person who's probably nice and probably smart but their website sucks and so mm. you're like i can't have you in my life here's a great way to avoid that everybody squarespace.com with Squarespace.com, sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. There's no coding required. So if your HTML chops are limited to making a <laughs> Black Planet page back in the day, that's okay. There are intuitive and easy-to-use tools. And if you sign up for a year with Squarespace.com, you get a free domain. What? Who doesn't like free stuff? Uh, I do. Everybody does. Yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not special. <laughs> so start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you sign up, use offer code another round and get 10% off your first purchase. Who doesn't love getting 10% off of stuff? And who doesn't love sharing that they love another round? Come on. Come on, son. Damn. Two in one. Two in one. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and do some fun rapid fire questions that are not rapid fire at all. Okay. Um, it's called pew, 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 pew. These are finger guns. I'm very sorry <laughs> for how awkward this is. First question. People get really upset at us when we don't ask our guests how they feel about squirrels. How do you feel about squirrels? I, I genuinely and generally like squirrels. Oh, my God. I, I This is the little bit of the white part like i like a lot of random animals <laughs> i i love that you attribute like that whispering. to your whiteness <laughs> it is it's I, like i walk around barefoot and i like lots of i do i walk around barefoot a lot well i do too though what? not like Wait. outside though you're not talking about outside she's talking about outside oh! <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> okay 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 one okay. of my one of my this friends came to stay in the uh, the apartment that we have here in new york and she calls and she says you don't have an iron here do you <laughs> i was like no nope. she was like you Friend are so you. white Why do you not have an iron? oh my goodness uh, okay but what other random animals do you like this is right up my alley so i feel like this interview happened in part because of a tweet i put out about the chicken coop <gasps> didn't that happen i our producers are dying <laughs> i want to meet a chicken so bad <laughs> I just want to meet a chicken. When I moved to North Carolina, one of the things we did was to buy a um, a house that has an acre and a half of land. Mm. And so I've turned into a bit of a backyard farmer and I've planted a veggie garden and stuff. But I am dying for a chicken coop. I have many feelings about my desire for chickens. My (laughs) husband is not down. (laughs) Now you got to divorce him, man. Well, so in New Orleans, we had chickens, but they were free range Seventh Ward chickens that had gotten free in Katrina. Mm. And and they were a little lazy. And so, like, (laughs) oh my God. No, like, the rooster, the rooster would, like, crow at like 10 15 <laughs> like no, i'm not feeling like, it y'all yeah it was it was ridiculous so he was like well you can have chickens that just like wander around but we can't have chickens we're responsible for so now the rooster go be late to work oh yeah about 10 15 you have one job sir seventh, seventh ward free chickens they oh did not gosh. they were not worried about your not about that life. Time. can i make an outrageous request if and when you get your chickens, because it's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm gonna will when. this oh, into yes. existence. Um, will you name one of them after me? Oh my oh, god! Oh no, I'm getting three chickens. I'm naming them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even be mad. I was gonna be really upset. Yep, sorry. That it's makes mad. it. It's okay. I'll just give my own chicken. In. It's fine. It's fine. So you teach a lot of African American or like 
political classes, mm-hmm. the intersection of those things. Yep. As we know, black people in college, they kind of, you know, have their little awakening sometimes. Oh, Jesus. And sometimes they'd be doing the most. Oh, Jesus. I did everything. <laughs> Do you ever want to tell your students to like, all right, chill out, buddy. <laughs> Just chill out, buddy. <laughs> oh, I do tell them. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's very, it's so, you know, you know, you guys want to ask me a thousand questions. My 13 year old would never like to hear me speak again. because she's, <laughs> You know, because she's 13 and she hears words all the time. So my students are funny because if you go and ask my students like oh you know it must be so incredible like have radical black feminists they'd be like she's a sellout of the administration <laughs> um, because you know in my experiences with them I'm constantly like yo you you really can't like it, like literally Tracy recognizes oh, herself yes. talk about me right now oh, I'm no, so I'm sorry <laughs> Oh, no, if you go talk to, to, to my dean from when I was in college, oh he will remind you that I had maybe done a spoken word where I had maybe suggested that I might assassinate my dean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Incredible. <laughs> Please tell me you remember this poem. Oh, do you I, remember any of it? I do. I remember much of it. I had so many. Th- and let's be clear. He was African-American. He is African-American. <laughs> I do Rachel felt that he was, he was a sellout tool of the establishment. So what I enjoy is that I am now him. And I am sure that there are children writing assassination poems right now. Oh, my, God. Oh my gosh. But I love it because, it, look, it's that that is what uh, the work of democracy is. And I learned how to be who I am like by fighting with and 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 I'll, I will say like my dean right now if you go back into he will tell that story but he will also laugh about it and we'll see it as like a loving moment of teaching and so I I hope that my students um, the ones who find me to be a sellout um, tool of the administration <laughs> I'm a good safe person for them to rage against mm. because I actually want the best for them and I'm not going to harm them and no- nothing that they say or do would ever keep me from still seeking the very best and most equitable policies for them so I want like please rage against me because I'm the single safest like authority figure you can ever rage against um, so but you gonna do the poem though <laughs> I'm not gonna do the poem oh just like a little bit I'm not I, 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 Taste. I nope <laughs> I have to Damn leave it. a little bit for the autobiography someday. So. <laughs> Damn it. All right, that's fair. Um, so everybody on Twitter, and by everybody on Twitter, I mean like one person who asked a really good question, wants to know where you get your glasses. Oh, those glasses? Yep. Oh, man, I'm pretty sure I got from LensCrafters. Okay. <laughs> LensCrafters is still a thing? So very not fancy. <laughs> it's, really, it's just like I have a lot of stress <laughs> about famous people. I have a lot <laughs> I had an actual panic attack at Black Girls Rock, and what? like it, I had an like like James had to take me out because the first lady was there and Jada Pinkett Smith, and I just like flipped out because I was in like a gap dress Aww. and I had a feeling, and I was like, I have to, I can't with actual famous people. It's mm. very stressful. Aww. So, what Twitter loves your glasses? Well, that's great. Yay, <laughs> lens crafters, do it. What is your favorite '90s R&B jam? Oh my god, I love them all. I love ev- like everything. Wow. I was creeping on your Instagram and I saw that you went to a Floetry concert. I did. <laughs> that happened. I and went I, back and screamed <laughs> and hollered and had a good time. Floetry had, had a good time. Oh. <laughs> what she said? She said if somebody is playing Floetry, it is not by accident. It's always on purpose. It's always purposeful. It is always on purpose. I don't, I love it all. I mean, I don't know that it's not the 90s. Like in my car, it is the 90s because that is what it's <laughs> playing at all points on the iPod. Yeah. That is beautiful. What is the most influential book you've ever read? Big question. Hmm. <laughs> I love it already. No, it's kind of ridiculous because I mean, there are many, many things that influenced me a great deal as an adult. Okay. But like, as a child, I was obsessed with Charlotte's Web, and I read it probably a hundred times. Favorite book with Charlotte's Aww. Web. Like, I will quote like I have feelings about that book even today. How did it influence you? Part of it is actually my my very best girlfriend in the world, um, Blair Kelly, who is uh, Prof BLM Kelly on hey, uh, Twitter. She's my best friend in the world, and I always tell her that she's Charlotte, <laughs> and she's like, Charlotte died. <laughs> Spoiler alert, guys. I'm sorry. Like, at all points, every time I say that, she's like, Melissa. <laughs> Girl. And then Charlotte died and left like 
8,000 grandchildren. She was like, right. this is the wackest. But it, it's she this idea. She was alive. Right. Well, I, right, I just <laughs> meant that, like, I, I, you know, I always identified with Wilbur. And, like, you know, Wilbur's a little paranoid. People are coming to get him. And so he needs somebody to build him up and to tell him that he's some pig and to tell him that he's terrific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but to remind him that he's humble. But, like, and just to, like, sing to him and stuff at night. And so he's dramatic and crazy. And he falls out and cries and shit. <laughs> and, and, and Charlotte's just like, Wilbur. Could you please pull it together? You're great. And that's that is a role that Blair has played in my life. Like our actual friendship began. I was breaking up with some boy in grad school and mm. my response to having broken up with this boy was to leave my door unlocked so that someone would come in and just oh kill my me. God. And so she came in and like picked me up on picked me up on floor one day was like, this is just stupid. <laughs> and then we just did and she just you know, that's sort of Aww. so I always think of her as my Charlotte because she's a she's an exquisite writer and she's brilliant she's so and dope. wonderful. I love she's, her. But the main thought that she has is like, and then Charlotte died. So get away from me. <laughs> well, bless her heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Harris Perry, please come back one day whenever you would like. Sure. And also reconsider naming a chicken after me. Okay. Just think about it. <laughs> I'm down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is not going to happen. I'm with that. <laughs> just something to think about. Where Let can... me think that you're thinking about it. Where can the people find your work? Oh, all kinds of places. Um, my favorite place for the academic work is Anna Julia Cooper Center, which I think is right now it's at uh, cooperproject.org um, on the web. If you go to Wake Forest um, and then Anna Julia Cooper Center is where most of my academic work, my syllabi, links to the Sister Citizen book, that kind of thing. And for the TV show, it's mhpshow.com. Maybe if they want to follow you on Twitter, even though... Oh, yeah. No, no. Follow me on Twitter. Sure. Every once in a while, I'll say words. I'm just not going to read your at replies. Um, <laughs> and so that's at M. Harris Perry. And the one place I do still... I shouldn't tell the world, but I still read at replies is on Instagram because that's the friendliest social media Aww. in the world. So I'm also at M. Harris Perry on Instagram. We're still like... You only get like two hate messages. Everything else is like, you go, girl. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Love Instagram. Beautiful. So follow Melissa on Instagram. And thank you so much. Thanks. Yes, thanks thank for you. coming through. Come back anytime. Heaven, guess what? <laughs> what? We did it. We, we did, did it. it. We did. This was a Hooray. great freaking oh. Was that from that's from the thing? Dora the Explorer. <laughs> yes. yes. Um the map. Oh my god. One of our listeners posted on our Facebook page that she played that song for her young kids her oh, like kindergartners yes <gasps> she said it was yes! so lit so shout out to you yes i should find that person heaven who are you buying around for i would like to buy around for jane the virgin i hear so much about this show it's such a good show okay i watched most of the first episode <laughs> okay <laughs> you made it seem like you put a real effort in i didn't okay so the the premise is kind of wild so i get the hesitation if you are just hearing the the explanation. Mm-hmm. So the whole premise is basically that Jane, who's like a young, like devout Catholic, and she's a virgin, and she's accidentally artificially inseminated. Hijinks ensue, and that usually that kind of premise. I'm like, eh, how long can you keep this up? That's where I like, like when I heard the premise of the show, I was like, if this show is not about her suing everybody, <laughs> yes. I cannot identify with it. So it's very elaborate and like. The only way I can tell, like, the only way I describe it to people is, like, just like a telenovela, you just you just have to embrace it. You just mm-hmm. have to go with all the stories. Yeah, you have to, like, suspend reality, obviously. Yes, obviously. Did you watch telenovelas before this? Like, have I you didn't, ever seen one? But, like, I grew up around, like, uh, African dramas. <laughs> so oh it's fictive kin. It's fictive kin, but it's not quite the same. Yo, them Nigerian movies be so crazy. They're wild. <laughs> and it's always, like... Beyonce and Solange, <laughs> like mad topical. Yes. Ashanti and Jaru, like this yeah. is not Ashanti. <laughs> Anyways, the way I explain my my joy about this show to people, first of all, every single human in the show is like incredibly gorgeous, incredibly beautiful. Especially, it's rude. It really is. It's like, rude. And I'm a big fan of juicy gossip. And it fulfills that part of me. It's just like, ooh, where's this story going? The tea. <laughs> Give me the tea. And so they have like a really intense narrator situation because you have to have someone walking you through everything. Uh-huh. There's no way week to week that you're like, oh, I remember what happened when the the wife of the person who kidnapped this one. You know, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Telenovelas are a lot. So the, there's a dope, really funny narrator. It's basically also just like a super heartfelt story about three generations of Latina women. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much 
I didn't see this on television. There's the grandma who speaks in Spanish, but people talk to her in English. Mm -hmm. That's like how my household ran. That's mad common if you're like an immigrant where you like talk to your parents or your your grandparents in a different language than the way they talk to you. Mm -hmm. It's just lovely on that end. It's just like, oh, I didn't even know I needed this. But also at one point you'll you'll find yourself being like, where is this drama going? (laughs) And then another point you're like sobbing. It went from like wild to super earnest, mad quick. And you're like, why am I crying? (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm like that. (laughs) In addition to like the immigrant thing, Mm-hmm. There's a character on the show who's kind of like a, a small character. She's uh, Jane's boyfriend's coworker. She, he's a cop, and she's also a cop. Very tiny role, but as soon as I saw her, I was like, "Oh my god, she's Ethiopian!" Oh wow! And then I was like, "Whoa, this is what white people feel like all the time." Yeah, because this is like best case scenario <laughs> for me: Ethiopian American person on uh-huh. a TV show. I was like, I did not realize. I had never experienced this Mm. and that people experience this all the time. (laughs) What? So I I like feel very strongly about the show. It's like doing incredible things. Mm -hmm. It's easily one of the best new shows I've seen in like the last five years. Wow. Easily. That's a big endorsement. It's like doing a lot and we're not talking about it enough. Mm. All right. So last thing, last thing. Oh Uh my God. So a lot of celebrities come to BuzzFeed. Right. There is one particular celebrity who came that was Jaime Camille? I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. What's the Americanized version? Maybe that'll be safe. It looks like Jamie. Jamie Camille. <laughs> he plays like a soap opera star in the in the show. So it's he like a soap so opera fine. within a soap opera. He he is Rogelio de la Vega. <laughs> he says that very emphatically <laughs> every that was time. Impressive. And this man He is so fine. He is so fine. He is gorgeous. So I wrote like a appreciation post because I'm like, y'all, we're not talking about this man enough. <laughs> and he saw it and he wanted to like personally thank me. Uh so he's fine and he smells good and he's also he's really thoughtful. nice. Oh, uh, he's thoughtful. Uh we need more thoughtful <laughs> men on this planet. <laughs> So shout out to Jane the Virgin. Shout out to Jane the Virgin. I want to buy a round for gynecologist, man. Ooh. You have got a job. You have got to look at vaginas. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All day. I mean, I personally, you know, I have one. A vagina. Sure, sure. She's all right. I have a lot of names for her. I refer to her as um, the Iron Maiden. Sometimes. The Jaws of Life. Oh, my God. Um... The Yum Center. <laughs> Let me explain the Yum Center. So I'm from Louisville, I don't know Kentucky. If you need to explain. Right? No, 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 no. We're gonna explain. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and Yum Brands is the company that owns like Taco Bell and KFC and blah blah blah. And so they paid for our because we don't have a pro ball team. We don't have any pro sports teams mm-hmm. at all. So college sports are really really big. So the University of Louisville has an arena known as the Yum Center. So sometimes I call That's my the vagina, explanation. The, rums, the yum center. Yeah. I think it's clever. I don't know. It's great, Tracy. What else do I call it? Um, so the round is for gynecologists. It is. Not your names. But let's talk more about my vagina for a second. Got a pap smear this morning. Okay. You know, as uncomfortable as it was for me, you know, speculums are not fun per They're se. They're not. <laughs> Okay, so obviously, like, my vagina is, like, great. It's fine. <laughs> obviously. Obviously, like, I mean, you could eat off my cervix. It's so okay. clean, right? <laughs> yes, I'm flexing and bragging on my okay. vagina. Deal with it. Calm down. <laughs> I know at least two gynecologists, and the stories that they tell me about the people who come in to see them oh, with, no. like, stuff stuck in there. Oh, no. And just, like, people who just, like, don't know how things work and, like, oh, the... No. The situation, <laughs> the situation. I could literally not. I couldn't. It could just. It just couldn't be me. In addition to, I'm sure they have horror stories, right? I've heard a lot of horror stories from my girlfriends, just about like that's the one job where you can't be judgy. You cannot be judgy. You cannot be judgy. You cannot be like rough. You can't in be like, any way. And it's like it, I've heard so many stories of like, especially male gynecologists mm. saying wild, outlandish things to women. Wow. Yeah. So I've had two male gynos. Mm. One was the worst I've ever had. One was the best. Okay. The worst one that I ever had was in Philly. 
<laughs> and he, I swear to you, looked like an extra from The Sopranos. Oh, my God. He had, like, this button-up that wasn't buttoned up all the way. So he had, like, his little chest hair sticking out. <laughs> he had this gold chain. And he had, like, this big, you know, like, Brooklyn accent. Like, hey, what's going on? I don't have a good Brooklyn accent at all. <laughs> and, like, he was just very, like, gruff. But the other man that I had was just, like, so, he reminds me of, now, I don't watch Sadie Rock regularly. But he reminds me of the the little country page guy. <laughs> yes. He like, he was super country. He had just like this great big old accent. <laughs> and we're just going to look in there and see what's going on. <laughs> and then when he was finished, he said, all right, now we're going to come out. And I'm just going to give you a little hug around the neck. And I'm going to send you out. And I was just like, first of all, I love country people who say, I'm going to give you a hug around the neck. <laughs> yeah. It's just so sweet and endearing. This was the time I laughed sweet at my pap smear. <laughs> Which is a thing that I did once. It's not a, time. a thing you haven't live tweeted. <laughs> literally not. Uh, and I remember sitting and like watch, looking at like his diploma on the wall, and I could tell like that he was very young. And I was like, "Yo, what if he's like super fun? I'm gonna be so embarrassed." It's like, <laughs> like I can handle a male gano. I cannot handle a male gano that I'm like attracted to. <laughs> Thankfully, he looked like a cartoon character, so it was fun. okay. Anyway, shout out to y'all. We would be in terrible shape without you. You make a lot of money, so I guess that's your thanks. But I mean, in case it's not enough thanks, thank you for my cervix and I. Also, side eye all the horrible ones. Uh yeah. They'll be just like, uh, you should lose some weight. And like, if you want to get pregnant, you should do it right now. Why aren't you married? <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Why are you doing this? That's horrible. Maybe I've I'm not so considered many the full weight like of like that. a terrible guy now. No, it's bad. Especially because it's so related to like reproductive things age things body things mm. like it's just a perfect mix of like what you never want to hear from a stranger let alone your doctor right okay so let's revise i'm buying around for the good ganos i guess i've never had a terrible one i've had like a not great one but not like a terrible one yeah. so shout out to all the good ganos out there thanks for keeping shit together and then work in order shout out to you i saw my uterus today it was exciting <laughs> The guy got had a vaginal sonogram, and you know how like in like when pregnant ladies have sonograms or whatever, you can see like the baby inside you moving. I saw my uterus and my bladder and my ovaries. I was like, oh my god, they're beautiful! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It was exciting. So around for all the vag doctors and out for there. your uterus and for my <laughs> shout out to my uterus and my bladder, which is huge. <laughs> Never mind. We're done. I think we could end there. We're finished. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Let's please do credits. It's really big. We did it. Shout out to Melissa Harris Perry for rolling through. Amazing. We had such a dope conversation. It was so good. Also, if you're listening right now, please reconsider naming a chicken after me. Okay. (laughs) Or at least let me. not going to do that. At least let me meet Shadrach. Shout out to the pod squad. squad. I'm just going to ignore your chicken situation. (laughs) This podcast is produced by Eleanor Kagan with editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss Berman and production help from Julia Furlan and Meg Kramer. Ah. (laughs) I ran out of sound. (laughs) I ran out of sound. Sorry. Thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios who gave us some of someone else's birthday cake and now he's doing the chicken thing. Yes. He's being the chicken. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks to Jean Gray and Don Will for being our in-house musicians. You can follow Jean Gray on Twitter at Jean Greasy. You can follow Don Will at Don Will. That's D-O-N-W-I-L-L. If you are coming to either of our live shows, Miss Jean Gray will be there. Thank you to Optimus Prime. Aw, thank you, Tracy. You're my favorite Optimus Prime like ever. <laughs> Even better than the actual Optimus Prime. Thank you. You can follow Heaven on Twitter at Heaven, like the place that she doesn't believe in and rants like the only verb people use to describe Kanye. And you can find Tracy at Brokey McPoverty, like the situation she will not be in hopefully soon-ish. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears, let me tell you. Next week's going to be a little shot. Don't kill us. We're taking care of ourselves, guys. Remember how we told you guys about self-care? Right. <laughs> We're and doing how it. committed we are. Yes. Doggedly committed. We're about that life. Mm-hmm. Follow us on all of the things. You can follow us on Twitter at Another Round. You can like us on Facebook at Another Round. You can email us questions, comments, criticisms, love letters um, at Another Round at BuzzFeed.com. And if you like us, you can rate us on iTunes. If you don't, don't rate us. That's a lot of effort. Don't do that. (laughs) You don't want to do that. 
Don't forget to take our survey at tinyurl.com slash another round survey. We really do appreciate your feedback. Yeah, we want to know what you think about stuff. And drink some water, y'all. Take drink. your meds. Oh, my God. I have been struggling with my meds this week. Mm. Just, I don't even know how I'm sitting upright right now. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say back up your data, but you know what? I'm a fucking hypocrite. Listen, I didn't want to say it, heaven. I didn't want to be the one. I'm trash, y'all. <laughs> trash. I backed up all my computer data before I got to back up my phone data. Mm. Fucking lost my phone. Mm. Lost a good month of shit. Mm. <laughs> I'm so upset. So follow your own advice, everyone. Follow your own <laughs> advice. Back up your data, damn it. Uh, All right. So we're both kind of trash. <laughs> so don't well, live you're like not us. trash. I'm trash. You're, you're, I'm no. That's I a am. reasonable thing to be dealing with. Mm, Anyways, I disagree. But um, also call your mom. We did it. Yeah. Time to go drink some more. Listen. Let's go drink all the drinks. And then hijacks ensue. That's so hi- I was like, wait, it's hijinks. Hijinks. <laughs> they steal a car. <laughs> then she starts robbing everyone. <laughs> I'm obviously Team Raphael. Who is Team No Lip Michael? Who provides nothing for Jane? No lip? Is that what you said? He has zero lip. <laughs> we need to talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, so don't at me, Jane the Virgin Phantom. <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> but I'm obviously Team Raphael. <laughs>